baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves and other things across the world of Major League Baseball. Of course, there's no bigger story than the fact that baseball season is off and running. Opening day is now in our rearview mirror, and the Braves are coming home to open up their home schedule at Truist Park with a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies beginning on Friday night. To break down everything that's happened over the first week for the Braves and look ahead to what's coming up this weekend and on this homestand, I'll welcome Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to the show in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can find From the Diamond there. I also put each episode of the show on YouTube, so you can search my name for the YouTube channel, Speaking of which, if you want to connect on social media, you can find me at Grant McCauley on Twitter, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can also find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley as well. You can find From the Diamond on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore and on Instagram at From the Diamond with no underscore after that. And of course, if you want a good way to connect with every episode of the podcast, all the videos and articles and everything else, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to do that. Let's take a look back at the week that was and, of course, preview what's coming up for the Atlanta Braves as they come home to open up the the home schedule, their first games at Truist Park with fans. Should be pretty exciting, and I'm excited to welcome Gabe Burns back to the show here. Of course, you can follow Gabe on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC, and as that Twitter handle might tell you, he covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Gabe, it's been a few weeks since we've gotten to catch up. Spring training's in our rearview mirror, and so is the first week of the regular season. How are you doing, and what have you thought thus far? Is it good to have baseball back, or is it just me? It is. It's good to be back. I appreciate you having me. And, you know, we're through a week now, and, you know, the Braves have had better opening weeks, but this is a very, very long season. So even a month from now, we won't remember a lot of even maybe what we discussed today. So (laughs) that's the beauty of baseball. We're going to see how things uh, unfold here as they get started on their first homestand. It definitely is. So let me uh, take this moment to use the phrase, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And that is so true for baseball season, I think above and beyond any other sport, because there are so many games. And the beauty of it, as you just pointed out, is that uh, most of the time there's a new game every day. So the Braves are getting ready to come home and open up their first homestand. It'll happen on Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Philadelphia Phillies, a club that I'm sure the Braves would like to give a little bit of a receipt for how the season opened. So let's talk about that a bit. That series up in Philly was no doubt frustrating, but to me it did not feel anything like the gut punch that 2019 was. Atlanta hit the ball hard. I felt they pitched those games pretty well. They were close games, and that kind of extended into the opener against Washington when they got walked off by Juan Soto despite roughing up Max Scherzer. So we were staring at a Braves club that was, for whatever reasons, bad luck or otherwise, 0-4. They took the edge off of that with a doubleheader sweep against Washington, but 
Uh, what did you make of that Philly series and maybe some early bad luck for the Atlanta Braves right out of the gate? Yeah, I, I wouldn't think too much of the Philly series. That's one thing I, I kind of tried to stress and basically everything I wrote about it, really. It's just things happen. If this series happened in, you know, July, people obviously wouldn't be happy about it. You don't want to be swept at any point, but right. it would be less under a magnifying glass than it is opening opening weekend. So you're right. It was, I mean, the Phillies, I think, outscored them 23 to 11 in that series a couple years ago. Bryce Harper had just gotten there. There was all this momentum, and it was just this big thing. And it was like, wow, are the Phillies something? Well, it turns out the Braves were perfectly fine, and the Phillies were, you know, basically not even a factor um, right. down the stretch that you, Yeah. So it, it's not, again, it's not, you do give credit to the Phillies. Obviously, the Braves had a lot of bad luck, but the Phillies pitched really well. Um, Zach Wheeler was absolutely phenomenal. He was. Yeah. I mean, look, the way that I, have explained it to a couple people is like if I'm a Braves fan I'm not really worried about it if I'm a Phillies fan I would be pretty excited sure. honestly just based on what I saw obviously you don't want to overreact to a three-game sample size everything we say has to be prefaced with that <laughs> yeah, sure. but there are a lot of reasons for the Phillies to feel optimistic that maybe they can hang around in this thing and you're not going to get pitching like what Wheeler did every single night but there's reasons for them to be optimistic. And then you go to the D.C., I think you saw the Braves. Obviously, they don't win the first game, but I think that doubleheader, you saw more of what we expect from this team. You saw really the DNA of this club the last couple seasons in that doubleheader and having a guy like Pablo come off the bench and do what he did, you know, in Noah to be this, like, wow, well, where did this come from? Yeah, I mean, revelation. that's kind of what this team has done. This team has had these top-level guys like Acuna and Freddie, and then they have these unheralded contributors come in. So I think that that doubleheader definitely showed what we expect out of this team and what we're going to mostly see moving forward. Yeah, I think so. And you knew the Braves weren't going to keep losing every close game and have a great play made by every hard-hit ball or every ball that seemed to be finding a gap or getting out of the infield. I mean, the D.G. Gregorius play on Ozzie Albies kind of was the microcosm of at least that day and what felt like that series. It's Every time it looked like, hey, maybe the Braves are going to get a break, somebody was there. It was hit hard right at somebody. A great play was made, and you don't want to make excuses for it in terms of, yeah, you can hit the ball hard, but the defenders are out there to make plays. And like you said, I mean, if you're the Phillies, you got to be excited about playing a series like that, well-pitched, well-played all the way around. But it did seem like maybe they got more than their fair share of the breaks, but sometimes that's what baseball is. And over the course of the long season, that is going to, I think, start to correct itself and you're going to get a little bit in both columns, both those good luck days and those bad luck days. And I did feel like that doubleheader was more of an indication of the kind of baseball that the Braves can play consistently. And it just starts with, I think, the guy at the top of the order. And that, of course, is Ronald Acuna Jr. And we started to see or be reminded, I guess, if we would had forgotten over the first three games of the season, that this kid is flat out fun to watch. He cranked two home runs on Tuesday in that game against Max Scherzer. Then he stole a couple of bases, picked up a bunch of hits in that Wednesday doubleheader. So, Gabe, let's go ahead and start it. It looks like the 40-40 watch is officially off and running, no pun intended. Yeah, it sure is. In case you forgot, Acuna's a really, really dynamic player, you know? (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, he's going to be in it. Like, I wrote in my predictions column he was going to be one of the three MVP finalists. That wasn't just pandering or Homer or whatever you want to call it, pick. I mean, I, I truly believe that. I think that he's going to put up just monster numbers as long as he stays healthy. I think, you know, last year, obviously, you know, he was disrupted by the wrist and everything. But I just think that, that he's in for a monster year. 
and we'll see. I mean, it's crazy to talk about. You know, they've played six games, but can the Braves have back-to-back MVPs? I mean, that would be <laughs> that would be really cool. And it's not crazy to talk about, right? No, not at it's all. Not, um, yeah, yeah. So it's not out there. So we'll just. The thing for me is just just keep this guy healthy. I mean, I know that's obvious. That's the easy thing to say, and that's the cliche for a lot of what these players say. But I have no doubt that when the season's over, as long as he stayed healthy, that those are just going to be some eye-popping numbers. No doubt. And I think that as we look back at 2019, which was the first full season in the big leagues for Ronald Acuna Jr., he played 156 games that year, scored 127 runs, and he spent most of the year at the top of the order in the leadoff spot, which is where I expect him to be and where I expect him to stay this year, even if we talk about some other maybe moving parts in the lineup, and we'll get to that on the show. 41 homers, 101 RBIs, 37 stolen bases. That led the National League a couple of years ago as well. So you already know that he's capable of getting into that range of 40-40. I've talked to a lot of people around. It just seems like, how bad does he want it in terms of how much is he going to run? How much of that running is going to be out of necessity? And then, of course, how much of it will just be, hey, I've got the opportunity to steal a base. It'll help the team and may get him to a personal goal, which is not a bad thing for players to have, in my opinion. So I'm excited to see how he approaches this. I definitely think the 40 home runs, that's the kind of thing he could be doing annually for a long time. No doubt. It's all part of his maturation process, but yeah, the home runs. I mean, you look up and down. We're, and like you said, we're going to get more into this lineup soon. But you look up and down this lineup, and the power potential is still <laughs> – it's very much here, right? We'll see if they can replicate last year's pace. That's a lot to ask. But definitely this is – I mean, Acuna starts one of the most fun lineups in the bigs. He certainly does. He really sets the tone for that lineup as well. So let's go ahead and kind of jump into this because I know you and I have had a chance to speak about it, not necessarily at length, throughout spring training, but I am curious what you think about the way that the lineup is currently constructed. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Ozzie Albies is going to go one for 20 or two for 22 throughout the course of the rest of the season. Like he's not going to be a guy that's going to be batting 091 when we're having this discussion in July and still playing every day and batting second for the Braves. This is small sample size theater at its best, but when you looked at the Braves having some trouble scoring runs and you thought about how well the lineup worked last year with Freddie Freeman in the two spot. I know the DH has gone away. I understand that completely. I know the Braves are looking for ways to lengthen their lineup, but I really felt like when they re-signed Marcelo Zuna, they wouldn't mess with that top three, and that at four, you would kind of see what Travis Darno could give you, or maybe Ozzie Albies could give you. Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, guys like that that you expect some offense out of, as well, and then whatever you get from Christian Pache, you'll be happy with. But is there too much being put on who's batting cleanup for this team, or is it more about the fact that there is not a DH and they're just looking for ways to extend the lineup as much as they can by putting a hitter like Ozzy, who should be one of your top offensive players, into a spot where he gets to hit in front of Freddie Freeman and in front of Marcelo Zuna? There are several layers here. I would say the most important thing to point out is what you said is Ozzy's not a one for, he's, you know, he's one for 20. Uh, so things are going to change there. It's just a matter of how long do you want to do this without ideal results, without making a change. And we saw the Braves tweak their lineup. If you remember Acuna moving back to lead off and Donaldson, like, We've seen them kind of do this before, yeah, and you know, shift. Schmidt went on record and said I was a dumbass for ever moving, you know, uh, Acuna <laughs> out nobody of the argued spot. with him for sure. <laughs> and so, I mean, he said that, and he's stuck with Acuna there. And that's not to say that 
you know, he's doing necessarily the wrong thing here. It's just, again, this is a very long season and it's a very long process. I agree. Like my initial thought was Freddie should hit second. Again, this is a different element than before because of that DH aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing how it goes. I would just say this. I just want to see a lot more of this, you know, before going too great. Like, uh, uh, they face some really good pitchers. Ozzy's off to a bad start. I would like to see it more when, when Ozzy starts hopefully rounding into shape and you can kind of see the, see the bigger picture here. But it's going to be one of the top kind of subplots, per se, of, of the next month or so. And, and if things kind of continue to just go up and down, I, I would certainly at least look and try some different looks. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's no sense in getting too far down the rabbit hole yet and thinking that, hey, this first couple of series is indicative of how this is going to go moving forward. Ozzy Albee is simply too talented to be hitting what he is right now over a long period of time. Those balls are going to begin to fall. He is going to find some gaps. He's going to hit some home runs. He's going to do some dynamic and exciting things because that is the kind of player that he is. Now, he missed half the season last year battling a wrist ailment as well, coming back in re-energizing I think him by getting him back toward the top of the lineup is not a bad thing either so I'm with you I'm, I'm at least comfortable enough to look at this throughout the month of April to start really having enough of seeing this order and deciding if it's really working and if it's not then you start making those tweaks because that's what the Braves did back in 2019 you brought up switching Josh Donaldson and Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. back around and I think you had Ozzy and you had Dansby Swanson getting an opportunity to you know bounce up in the lineup a little bit as well. So there's a lot of different things and different moves that Brian Snitker can make. He doesn't need to panic every time the Braves maybe don't score five or ten runs and decide, oh, it's time to shuffle the lineup again. I think the continuity helps, and I think it's important for the players as well to know, hey, I'm going to come in, I'm expected to perform, this is where I am. I take pride in being there and being in the middle of all the good things that can go on offensively, and this is a club that has a lot of offensive potential. Flashing back to last year, you know what they're capable of, and now let's just see if they can find their footing, if you will, get hot, and then see what that looks like. Yeah, that's really when you're going to get a better picture of, of how this lineup should be constructed. What's the best iteration of this? And I mean, look, they've played six games. They faced Nola. They faced Wheeler. They faced Strasburg. Like, you know, it... it we just need a much bigger yeah. sample size to really understand like where this offense is. And obviously they looked significantly better in DC. We saw them hit four homers off Max Scherzer. So, you know, it's, it's going to come and go. It's early on. You don't want to make any judgments really about anybody who's playing too well or too poorly right now. So mm -hmm. just give it time to level off. But I understand why people are already just so into this, the lineup conversation and everything. But again, I would just say give this thing just some more time so we can kind of see how this shakes out. Yeah, I think that's what the deal is. And again, as I've talked about with it being more of a marathon kind of season, and I know all sports have a longer regular season, but none longer than baseball, these are the kind of things that kind of work themselves out over time as well. You know, Freddie Freeman's not going to be hitting just over 100 at the end of this year. You know, Ozzie Albies isn't going to be batting 091. And Dansby Swanson's probably not going to be hitting sub-150 and Marcel Ozuna hitting 100 even. I mean, this is six games into the season. If this happens in the midst of the year where you've already got a couple months' worth of stats, you don't notice this as much, but I think it just kind of it draws the eyes early on when you see that, hey, none of these guys are really hitting that well outside of what looks like Ronald Acuna Jr. and that little show that Pablo Sandoval's been putting on coming off the bench hitting two-run homers. That may not last forever either, but... You enjoy it while you can get it, 
and you'll take the big hits from whoever can give them to you as well. And the Braves have gotten a couple of those from the Kung Fu Panda. So that's a little bit about the Braves' offense. I do want to talk uh, quite a bit about the Braves' pitching because there's a lot of interesting stories that we're following here. And I want to lead with bad news, unfortunately, because this was something we were looking forward to maybe in the next couple of three weeks was the return to the rotation of Mike Soroka. So uh, we got the news from Brian Snitker following the doubleheader in Washington that Soroka, who is, of course, on the comeback trail from his Achilles injury, he is now dealing with some shoulder inflammation, according to Snitker, who said Soroka will be shut down for a couple of weeks, then reevaluated. So, uh, Gabe, I know both he and the team were hoping that this is just a little speed bump on the road back, perhaps in May. Uh, what's your level of concern here, and uh, when do you think we can expect to see Mike Soroka back in the Braves rotation now? Yeah, I mean, no, it's definitely a concern. Um, it's just really unfortunate, too. I mean, you, you've seen how hard Mike Soroka's been working to come back. If you follow this team and reporters, you know, basically at all, you would see just what everyone thinks of mm -hmm. him. So you just you hate it for the individual, first of all, that, that he does have this setback. And he has been throwing. It's not like he just started throwing. So for this to pop up is, I mean, it's definitely a concern. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, too. But sure. now, I mean realistically i'm reluctant to even throw out necessarily when he could come back just because we don't know how this is going to develop I mean, maybe he'll be perfectly fine maybe it lingers so i'm not totally sure but at this point i mean i would guess late may would be maybe the earliest um but again i don't even feel comfortable saying that because we just don't know how this thing's going to play out i mean we've been talking about mid to late april there for weeks mm -hmm. and then this happens and then all of a sudden everything that we said is useless so i don't want to mislead anybody or anything but i would like to hear your thoughts on soroka as well yeah the way i look at it was i loved what i saw in that spring training finale from him I'm, it was almost like i can't believe that this guy has been off for this long i know how hard he's worked but to come out and look that good and Sure, he gave up a long home run, but the curveballs that he was snapping off, the velocity was there fastball-wise, and he looked like he had gotten comfortable with what he was having to deal with mentally getting over the worry that comes with an injury like the Achilles. It was a freak thing. It wasn't something that I think there's, there's not a way to avoid that. It's just something that happened and something he had to get over, and part of that rehab process is physical, and I think a big part of it was mental, and I felt like Mike had checked all of those boxes and from what you heard, he was really working to keep his arm in shape the best he could, even when he couldn't use his lower half for an extended period of time. But as I go back and look now at hoping that he would be back in the middle of April or maybe late April, that was certainly a best-case scenario. And I wanted to see that because, as you said, everybody knows what Mike Soroka means to this team. And, of course, the talent speaks volumes. And now, as you look into a May timeline, I don't know if you shut him down for a couple of weeks, if it's not smarter to – maybe slow play this a little bit more to the point where he actually goes out on the real minor league rehab assignment, gets a couple of three starts up in Gwinnett and see what he looks like at that point. And hopefully the shoulder thing is just a little bit of time off and the inflammation goes away and he doesn't have to deal with it again. He did, however, have that injury a couple of years ago that was more, I think he described it as kind of a workout injury. I don't know if this is the same kind of thing or if this is something that's totally different that he's feeling while he's throwing and we're just going to continue to play the waiting game. But either way, it's not an ideal scenario. I feel bad for Soroka because I know how hard he worked. I feel bad for the Braves because I know how much he means to that team and how much better he makes that rotation. Yeah, he had the workout injury. And in 2018, you know, he made his first five career starts and then he shut down with inflammation. So, you know, there's a little bit of history here. And you just... 
in general, him coming back now, he's gonna, it's a setback. I like the point you made. I think you have to slow play this now, and that's why I said I'm reluctant to even you know, think at this point of when it might be realistic. But certainly late May feels like, an, honestly, an early scenario if you mm-hmm. really think about it. But, uh, you know, ultimately his long-term health is number one, right? Yes, so, absolutely. I mean, that's, duh, that's the obvious thing here. So slow play it. This team has the pitching depth to do so you can slow play it you know obviously you you want him you want Soroka to be your ace for the next 10 years right so take your time with it you have Bryce Wilson you have Anoa you have Kyle Wright Um, if he's needed you have these guys and then ideally you you know Soroka's up he's reacclimated he's pitching well and then the playoffs roll around and you have him because where this team is right now I mean the focus is on getting over the hump in the postseason and from an on-field standpoint with Soroka, if you can get him going and get him ready and hopefully he, he can pitch there, that's that would be the number one thing on field. Yeah, and not to keep hearkening back and bringing this up over and over, but I do think about, and I'm sure Braves fans do as well, I'm sure you know, you've know you spoken about it, written about it, you just wonder what it would have meant for the Braves to have Mike Soroka in their postseason run last year, what the outcome could have been. Not saying that means that they absolutely 100% beat the Dodgers, but man, I sure like their chances. So when it comes to their chances of beating the Dodgers or any team, in the playoffs in 2021, should they get there, I'd like to have Mike Soroka locked and loaded in that rotation at that point. So hopefully he'll be back sooner than later. I do want to talk about Waskari Noah in just a moment, but before I get to him, I want to talk about the other uh, front-of-the-rotation starter the Braves would like to have in their rotation for quite some time. He, of course, is Max Fried, who looked very good on opening day, ran into what I would call a tough start in his second appearance of the year on Wednesday against Washington. He threw a ton of pitches took a liner off his leg and came out after the second. I understand the Braves not wanting to push it, especially this early, or doing anything that could cost them Max Freed for an extended amount of time. So uh, while the Braves would like to keep their rotation intact and welcome back Soroka, these are the things that are going to happen throughout the season. The best laid plans can go awry based on injury. And as you mentioned, the Braves do have a couple of candidates to step in, but healthy Freed, healthy Soroka, healthy everybody else would be great for the rotation we just know the Braves are going to have to answer injury questions like all 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And that's why it's so important that they have the depth they do because there's no doubt something will happen here. And it's like what you just saw. I mean, fortunately, Freed is okay. But, you know, that's the kind of play that just, bam, that changes your season, you know. Yep. And so it's a good thing that he seems to be okay and he expects to make his next start. And, I mean, he hasn't had his best stuff. And, I mean, that's fine. Like, I'm not worried about Freed. I mean, he'll figure things out. We saw how he put everything together last year. And I just, he's one of those guys at this point that you just kind of trust is going to just get things straightened out. So as long as he's healthy, as long as that, you know, that, that, I think it was the lower calf, as long as that doesn't really interfere and and then bother him, I think he'll be fine. So, yeah, I mean, the Braves are going to need him, right? I mean, I think amazingly, you know, they lost that game opening day with him. And I think that was already as many games as they lost with him starting as they did last year. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty crazy, but he's going to be a big part of this thing, so they, they need him to stay healthy. Yeah, he's certainly their guy when it comes to it. Max Fried, if you're curious, in the regular season, he's made 41 starts over the last two years coming into this year. His record, 24-6 and six in those 41 outings. So pretty important, I would say, just in terms of even if you don't believe in the pitcher win, I can certainly look at that win column and say, hey, the Braves do pretty well on days that Max Fried pitches. It's an obvious statement, but – you need that for the overall psyche of the team and no reason to take a, a gamble on something that, hey, that leg tightens up, all of a sudden he starts overcorrecting, 
and you invite another injury issue to perhaps rear its ugly head. Don't need that for Max Fried. What you need is him out there every fifth day, and hopefully this is just something that a few days and a little bit of general soreness he's able to put behind him and get back on the hump, and I don't think that uh, anybody's particularly worried about that right now. But uh, when it came to pitching highlights for the Braves early on in the season, I don't think that they've really pitched a bad game per se just yet. Yeah, they've had a couple of bad innings here or there, but that's certainly going to happen again, so buckle in. It's a long season. But what I saw from Waskari Noah in game two of that doubleheader against Washington was much needed. It was a shot in the arm, any and all pun intended. Five shutout innings for this kid. I think, Gabe, he's got to fit somewhere, whether that's in the rotation or the bullpen, and he's going to make some contributions to this Braves team in 2021. I just have that feeling. It's just finding where he fits and giving him the opportunity to be an impact arm. You're exactly right. I've written a lot throughout spring, and I wrote in my predictions column, I thought he was going to be kind of the Braves' underrated MVP. He's one of these guys that you can just kind of see. He may never necessarily have like his set role, um, but he's going to have a long major league career and help good teams be- just because of what all he can do, right? So that was the best outing of his career the other day, and that's really, really encouraging, especially after you know that now that Mike Soroka is going to be out longer, and if that's the direction that they want to take with the fifth starter spot, that would be reasonable. Wilson would also be reasonable. But mm-hmm. the fact that you have this kind of depth and – a guy like Anoa, you know, I mean, if he was on a worse team, he could be in the rotation and pitching every fifth day, right? So uh, it's really a luxury for this team to have these guys. And with him, I mean, obviously he can be a little inconsistent. He's a young pitcher, but I really, really am encouraged by by what I see out of him. I, I just think that this is a guy who I, th- I thought you said it really well. You know, by the end of the season, you're going to be looking at this and, and, and you're going – you know, kind of where would this team be without having this guy to, to cover these innings and to fill this? And this guy gets injured, he's there. This guy gets injured, he's there. Um, he's just going to be a really, really valuable part of this team. It certainly feels that way. And you know, as well as I do, and I know Braves fans who've watched teams over the years, they're those unsung kind of guys that come along and get the opportunity to make a contribution that wasn't necessarily in the plans or even in the cards based on how the roster was constructed. But some injury, some inconsistency opens up that opportunity. You get a start in a doubleheader game, and hey, you make the most of it. All of a sudden, you can start building on that, make some momentum, get that momentum behind you, and maybe carve out a role that makes a lot of sense for the club and allows them the opportunity to shine. It just has the feel of that. And I know, again, we're in the second week of April, so let's not get ahead of ourselves and start saying that Waskari Noah is going to be leading the Braves rotation. I'm just saying somewhere on a pitching staff that's going to be 12, 13, maybe 14 guys, this is somebody that needs to be among that group. He's just too good to ignore, at least right now, unless something changes. That's a guy I want to find opportunities for, and he made the most of his first big opportunity here in 2021. Speaking of rising stock, or at least some cause for optimism in my book, Sean Newcomb blew away the Nationals to earn a save in that game that Inoa started. Hitting the mid to high 90s was Sean Newcomb. Struck out the side as well, and I've been of the mind for a while that he's a reliever long-term, at least with Atlanta. It could be a valuable one at that. I think they've exhausted the starting options for him. Now maybe it's time to just embrace the fact that you can be an impact arm there. And if he keeps posting innings like that, you have to feel like Sean Newcomb could become a pretty valuable weapon in that Braves bullpen, which can always use all of the valuable weapons and arms it can get at any given time. This is the kind of arm you want to have in multitudes. He is, and we've seen it before. That's one thing that kind of adds to the confidence here is 
we have seen Newcomb be valuable for this team as a reliever before. Um, I understand why they tried to move him back into the rotation. I understand why that's what he wanted. And I understand why to this day he says, I'm a starting pitcher. I mean, I understand where he's coming from there. But the reality is, really, since I guess since that Dodgers start that he Mm -hmm. had where he almost threw a no-hitter, I mean, all of his best moments have been as a reliever. Yeah, all of the best work we have seen him have in the majors as a reliever, and and clearly the team is moving forward, operating, you know, under the thought that he's a reliever. They're treating him as such, and I mean, maybe eventually he can find a starting opportunity again. But I mean, the reality is, is that that's just not going to be here. He's a reliever as long as he's a brave is the way it looks right now, and mm-hmm. and you know he's got a bright reliever future ahead of him if he if he look, continues to look like he did the other day in D.C. So. Definitely. Uh, I think what you said is important, that he should really embrace this and, and, you know, rediscover that attacking mentality that he found in the bullpen a couple of years ago. It's always been mental with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we know that. We've really hammered that in basically since he's been here. And for him to kind of embrace that, for him to rediscover that aggressiveness, that's the thing for him. And just him to come out looking like he did. I mean, he could be a huge, huge part of this team and give them yet another potential high leverage lefty in this bullpen so I mean we'll see he's a guy who you know it's always been inconsistent but we have seen him kind of really stabilize himself in the bullpen and and that's going to be their hope now is that you know he can do that and and hopefully that he can just kind of embrace that and and just keep going with it and be a contributor I think is all they're asking him to do right now and I had somebody on Twitter as you know how this thing goes you throw out there the optimism that you have when you see an inning like Sean Newcomb put up there. And I know that, and I don't think it was taken out of context either, that Brian Snicker said, hey, that's closer stuff right there. Because if you tell me, hey, this guy's going to come out pumping 97 to 99 and punch out the side to save a game, then I'm going to think, wow, I'd like to see him do that again. That doesn't make him the closer just because he had one good outing. But I do kind of take umbrage with people that look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, but it's still Sean Newcomb. It's only one game. And I think you're on to something with the kind of aggression that he found out of the bullpen two years ago. It's not just one game. 54 relief appearances for Sean Newcomb thus far. Opponents hit 30 points lower against him. Their OPS is 70, almost 80 points lower against him. And his ERA is nearly a run and a quarter lower out of the bullpen as well. You know, Approaching 10.5 strikeouts per nine out of the bullpen. This guy's got big stuff that can play up like that. He seems to do a better job in those short spurts. I know you can get a little bit nervous about some of the inconsistency he has shown, and that's a fair criticism over time, but he seems to be kind of a different person when he pitches in relief than when he's pitched in the starting rotation, and especially as you tracked it back to the near no-hitter against L.A. Since then, it really hasn't been a productive start for him time and time again, and the Braves have given him opportunities as he approaches his 28th birthday to take a starting role, especially last year, and run with it. He wasn't able to do it, though. It didn't happen that way. So the Sean Newcomb I'm seeing out of the bullpen, to make a long story short, the style in which he is pitching, the aggressiveness, and, of course, the results, I don't care if he needs to let off a fire extinguisher every single time he pitches. This is the guy I want to see, and I just think he's going to be one of your best relievers if he's pitching anything close to what he did against Washington a couple days ago. Absolutely. I mean, it's not impossible. I mean, look, like you said, He's not a young player anymore, right? which is kind of crazy because we've always really thought of him as you know, the young guy in the Simmons deal and all of this, but that's not what he is anymore. And at this point, if it hasn't worked as a starter by now, I'm not saying it could never work, 
But I think the time has kind of run out here. They just have other guys, obviously, the stuff that everyone listening knows. Sure. But if he can let loose in the bullpen, and, you know, I think before, you know, he was kind of pitching mad out of the bullpen because, you know, he, I mean, he was didn't want to be there. Didn't really want, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to be a reliever. And you know what? I mean, some people who are really successful in life, they harness their anger or their frustration and they use it and they get the most out of, you know, whatever they're supposed to do because of that anger. And, he might be one of those people. 100%. So this is definitely a new stage in his career. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and this is, again, second week of April, so there's going to be a lot of we'll wait and see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what this guy does with these opportunities. This is not anointing Sean Newcomb as now the Braves' best reliever just based on that one outing. But I have to say, you know, these are the kind of developments that you would like to see, and that was uh, more than impressive what I saw from Sean Newcomb the other day. And when you talk about on the heels of a road trip in which you start out 0-4, a day in which you hit four home runs off Max Scherzer and still lose a game, and then you're able to sweep a doubleheader and to do it with the kind of emphatic exclamation point, I guess, that that was, maybe a whole bunch of things came together there in that Sean Newcomb outing that's all of a sudden the Braves maybe had a little bit of confidence back because you weren't going 0-162 because you'd already won game one, sweeping a doubleheader, winning your first series of the year. That's a good thing. The way Enoa pitched, the way Sean Newcomb pitched, the stuff you saw out of Ronald Acuna Jr. especially, there were some highlights up in D.C. as the Braves come home to open up their first homestand against the Philadelphia Phillies this weekend. Let me circle in on another not-so-great development. I know we're having fun talking about you know what Sean Newcomb and what Waskari Noah were doing in particular, but Chris Martin is dealing with some kind of finger issue that forced him out of his most recent appearance. Haven't heard a lot about it in terms of details, but it is alarming because Chris Martin is the Braves' best right-handed reliever. They cannot afford to be without him for a long amount of time. No, they can't. He's, you know, there's some increased responsibility there when they, you know, they lose the guys that they lost over the winter. And Martin's really important. And just how big he's been since he's really come to this team. Uh, just from, a, you know, it used to be for this bullpen yeah. used to walk so many guys. I know that they had their struggles the other day, but Chris Martin was really, he's been a stabilizing force in this bullpen since he's been here. And the last update that they had, they really didn't think he was going to need any time on the IL, which is really encouraging. We'll see, you know, Snit will probably have an update for us later today. Today's Friday. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes, but I mean, the best case scenario is obviously him avoiding any time on the IL. Yeah, no two ways about that. And you mentioned the departures that happened in the Braves' bullpen. And Mark Melanson, he's gone. He signed with the San Diego Padres. He's already off out west and doing his thing. But let me ask you, the elephant in the room, people bring it up. I don't necessarily think that means it's going to happen, though you can put the energy out in the universe and see what happens. And I guess if the money shows up, that would help too. But Shane Green still hasn't signed anywhere I know that that doesn't necessarily mean he would walk in the door and be the Braves' closer or be able to fix all the problems in the bullpen at any given moment when things aren't going well, but it's curious to me, number one, that Shane Green hasn't signed. Number two, if the Braves do end up without Chris Martin or any other top reliever for a considerable amount of time, a reunion like that has to at least be worth considering, but I think you and I both know money is going to be what talks in this situation more than likely. Uh, money's the bottom line, but... Yeah, I mean, if Martin ends up missing more time, again, everything they've said is that he shouldn't require an yeah. IL stint to this point. Yeah, and but, I'm not saying he will. I'm just thinking about yeah. you know, out loud when it comes to what in the world's going on with Shane Green. Why isn't he back here? And that could be for the overall stability of the pin. So let me not just pin it on the health of Chris Martin, but just in general, how much would that help? Or do you think it's even possible? Yeah, no. I mean, if they have a guy, and this goes for 
really every team, um, at least the teams that are trying to compete. I mean, if you end up losing a reliever for a significant amount of time, if it's the Braves, if it's the Mets, if it's the Yankees, whoever, you know, that's where Green is kind of, I mean, not to speculate, but I would assume that's kind of the situation he's waiting for at this point. Yeah. If he hasn't gotten the money, uh, if he hasn't gotten the right offer, um, he's probably waiting for a team to be more desperate and up their offer to something that he deems acceptable. Um, again, that's kind of speculation on my part, but you can put two and two together here as far as why he hasn't yeah. been signed yet. I mean, we're here so, to yeah, I mean, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's certainly not impossible. Um, I would certainly say it's unlikely, just given, you know, the Braves' financial situation, just, you know, they're going to see where they are at the deadline and how much money will they have available there. You know, I did an interview with Alex Anthopoulos a couple weeks ago, and he said no doubt that he was promised they will have some kind of, you know, here's the term financial flexibility. There it is. Um, for lack of using something <laughs> else at the trade deadline. We don't know how much that will be. One of the things he mentioned was we'll have flexibility and we have the all-star game here. Well, you no longer have the all-star game here, so I don't know how much that's going to play into mm-hmm. anything. But it's not impossible if Martin's gone for a while or if someone else is gone, maybe they revisit it. But right now, I mean – Look, if Shane Green would sign for cheap, he would be on a team right now. I mean, that's yeah, that's kind of the bottom line. So Yeah, and that's probably more than enough time spent talking about it because I don't think Gabe or I are breaking any news in saying that money is what's going to talk when it came to a Shane Green <laughs> deal over the winter. Clearly, nobody was speaking the same language. And now they're just going to have to figure it out when the opportunity comes up. And it may be having to be opportunistic if you're Shane Green. Somebody does deal with a major injury, and all of a sudden, his agent's able to take a call and say, hey, look. I got somebody that could help fix your problem, and maybe he gets a better deal than he would have just trying to take a short-term arrangement in spring training. So it could be a long game for him. I know it has to be frustrating. I know that the Braves' bullpen would be better with a Shane Green in the mix more than likely, and we'll see how that plays out for him with any of the 30 teams as it stands right now. But hopefully to circle back to the original question of this or the original thing that set this off in terms of discussing Shane Green – Hopefully we're not talking about any kind of extended absence for Chris Martin at any point this season. He's too valuable to the Braves, and hopefully he's back out there sooner than later. Uh, A couple more items for you, and let me just do some good housekeeping when it comes to Braves transactions. We've seen them add a couple of players to the 40-man roster here this week. They made a trade with the Brewers to pick up Orlando Arcia, of course, a slick-fielding shortstop from Milwaukee. They also added reliever Edgar Santana from the Pirates. These, not the biggest moves, quite obviously, but... It does add depth, and we've learned that comes in handy over the course of a long season. So I guess the same could be said for Carl Edwards Jr., Jesse Biddle, Jason Kipnis, Jeff Mathis, all of guys who've signed minor league deals with the Braves since the end of spring training. These are the kind of guys that you may lean on at some point. Uh, What do you make of some of the Braves' ads? I think Alex Anthopoulos is just trying to do the best he can to have the best 40-man roster that will help get the Braves through the marathon of the season. Yeah, I mean, some solid depth pickups. I think the Arcia move is pretty interesting. Yeah, he's had some success. Uh, I think there's a kind of a clear floor there where he's, you know, he, but he'll be a quality bench player. Um, has another year of contractual control, and at the price that they paid, I mean, no offense to Weigel or Sabatka, but I mean, those are guys who didn't really have clear futures here. And obviously, with Weigel, we're really rooting for him because he, you know, he's overcome a lot to get to yep. the point that he is. Absolutely. Um, so you know, best of luck to him there. And then, you know, the Santana move today, I mean, this is a guy who he had some success as well. He just he hasn't pitched since 2018. He had Tommy John surgery, and then he had a PED suspension. So, I mean, that's just a complete lottery ticket, but you never know. I mean, sometimes those things kind of click. So I I don't mind taking a chance on that either. 
you know, just to get him around just in your environment. You never know when something might really work out with a guy like that. So, and then just some solid veteran guys like, you know, I, they, they keep Carl Edwards Jr. For instance. I mean, maybe that's a guy who eventually they give a look to. He had an up and down spring, but he did have a couple moments. So, I mean, it's good to have these kind of guys, especially when you're a team that's really gunning for this thing. And so if, if they're just hit with a ton of injuries, um, it is good to know, you know, from their standpoint that they have some guys that they can rely on if needed. Yeah, I think that is uh, just a thing that every major league club wants to have and every GM is just going out there looking for is, okay, what are some plan B, plan C, plan D, just all the things that you need to have depth-wise that can help you out. And clearly, these are guys that – Uh, seem earmarked to be on that Gwinnett Stripers team that should begin play in, I believe, the second week of May as minor league baseball season gets started, which is another thing that uh, Braves fans and baseball fans in general have to look forward to, the impending return of minor league baseball. I know I'm looking forward to that on top of everything else we're getting this year with a full slate of games at the major league level. So something else to look forward to in the not-too-distant future. Also, something I saw the Braves unveiled on their social media accounts on Thursday night is the threads that they're going to be wearing for the first home series of the year. Gabe, I'm excited about it. The 1974 throwbacks, they're going to honor Hank Aaron and Phil Necro, who, of course, wore those uniforms for many years with the Braves. I'm excited to see those in action. I always get a thrill out of seeing the Braves go back and get a vintage uniform, and this is one they've gone to time and time again. Is it safe to say this is your favorite of the Braves throwback uniforms? It sure is. Absolutely love it. Can't wait to see it. I love them. Almost everyone I think that I've ever seen on Twitter or talked to in person, or all yeah. you know, obviously if you're from the South, you probably a lot of your friends were probably Braves fans. I don't think I've ever heard anyone who doesn't like them. So uh, they're fantastic. I can't wait to see them. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. I believe the Braves will be wearing them throughout this homestand, but at the very least, it's a great way as they come home for the first time to be able to honor the legacy of Hank Aaron. And on Thursday, that was the 47th anniversary of Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. It happened on April 8th, 1974. And the Braves, not too long after that to the day, are having the opportunity to uh, celebrate that, celebrate Hank, celebrate the history of the Braves. Of course, Phil Necro was a big part of those teams back then as well. We lost both of those guys over the winter. Huge losses for baseball, for Braves country. Excited to find a way to pay tribute to them and turn back the clock, if you will. I think the Braves seem to play a little bit better in these uniforms, or am I just imagining that? It just seems like they just get an extra little shot of confidence when they're able to throw on those uniforms and you start talking about Hank Aaron. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it should add some extra energy. Um, Those things are beautiful, and to honor him, to honor just a guy who, you know, if you just say the best player in Braves history, it doesn't even begin to do him justice. So it's pretty awesome that they're wearing those. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing those 1974 throwback jerseys in action, those uniforms the Braves are breaking out this weekend. And, Gabe, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the ballpark here in 2021. That's going to be cause for celebration as well. Absolutely. 81 home games ahead. All right. Well, let's do it, my friend. I appreciate your time as always. I look forward to catching up with you again throughout Braves season. And, of course, you listening out there know you can find Gabe Burns on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. And, of course, check out his great work in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on the daily for the Braves as he covers the beat as good as anybody. Gabe, appreciate your time and look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Look forward to next time. That'll wrap us up for this episode of From the Diamond. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond on the YouTube channel. Just search for my name, Grant McCauley. You can find every episode of the show there. 
And you can connect on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore over on Instagram at Grant McCauley there and at From the Diamond with no underscore to find the show. And of course, every episode of the podcast, every video I post, and every article I write, you can find it from the diamond.com. My thanks again to Gabe Burns for making some time to discuss the first week for the Braves. And I'm excited to talk to him throughout the 2021 season. And of course, I appreciate you making some time to make From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. And look forward to bringing you this all summer long as the Braves make their march back to October. And hopefully, that World Series trip awaits them. We'll find out together. So that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond, but I will catch you next week for an all-new episode of the show. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>